illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah. Hi, uh, welcome back to Two True Freaks. Uh, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my co-freak, the man who is the inspiration for the Clint Eastwood character, the man with no name, a uh, man who actually has a name, Scott Gardner. How's it going? Good. <laughs> Was that well. your Clint Eastwood impression? <laughs> Isn't it a wicked Clint Eastwood impression? Well, it I sounds, knew who it was. <laughs> I knew you were like him. I knew you were doing an impression anyway. <laughs> I'm multifaceted. I guess so. Like a cubic zirconium diamond. <laughs> pubic zirconium? Yeah, pubic zirconium diamond. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get this show off to a good start. There we go. Um, it's our third Star Trek Monthly Monday uh, podcast. I can't believe it. I know it. I know it seems like we just uh, recorded the thing about changing the form and you know shaking the format up a little bit, and then the next thing you know, we're three months in. This is pretty awesome. I know we're chewing up episodes like William Shatner chews up the scenery, <laughs> basically. Getting, what I like, we're getting some good feedback on on stuff too. We got um, well, we have one ready for this episode. Uh, we just got one on the on the forum from uh, from Mobile Home about the episode that we're going to review. Yeah, you want me? To, you want me to read it here? Yeah. All right. Mobile Home wrote us. He said, uh, "As soon as your machine spit out seventy-six, I said to myself, the Cloud Minders." And sure enough, it was a lousy episode, if I remember correctly. Should be fun to hear you synopsize it. Scott, you mentioned Star Trek author, author uh, J.M. Dillard on the episode. Again, I thought to myself, "The Lost Years." And again, we were on the same page. The Lost Years was the first Star Trek novel I ever read. The idea of a post, uh, the original s series story intrigued me, so I picked it up the hardcover. Must have been around 1990 or thereabouts. Whenever the book came out, I saw it on the new releases stand at Barnes & Nobles. After that, it was the original series novel Bonanza for me. I must have read 20 or 30 books. Some of my favorites, Deep Domain, Double Double, The Rift, Vulcan's Glory, The Wounded Sky... Spock's World and the Shatner Pen novels, surprisingly enough. Also, I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, but the Shatner autobiographies, Star Trek Memories, and 
Star Trek movie memories are both enjoyable reads. Another great episode. Thanks. Tony. So we got his real name now. Awesome. Now we know your real name, Tony. That much there were that that step closer to <coughs> something. Yeah, now <laughs> I know what to write yeah, I know what to write on the little scrap of paper that I pinned to the voodoo doll or whatever, you know. <laughs> well, I, I wrote him back, um, this was my reply on the forum, but I was going to elaborate a little bit on it, too, was uh, just to say thanks, Tony. Uh, the next show we're set to record is the one that we're recording right now, and I told him I'd be addressing some of uh, what he had said in there. Um, I read a lot of Star Trek novels, too, especially in high school, you know, the the original series novels. At one time, I was reading, I, I was determined I was going to read them all. And, you know, there weren't like 80 million of them back then. Yeah. You know, there was There was a good bit. But uh, I was reading right along, and I really liked them. And then, I don't know, it just seemed like all of a sudden the quality of them really dipped sharply. And then I read one. It was this one. It's The, the cover of the one I've got has, I think it's like Spock and a Klingon playing chess or something like that. It was called The Final Reflection. I couldn't tell you what it was about now other than it sucked. And I it was so bad that it actually put me off Star Trek books for a long, long time. And I only ever, after that book, you know, I, I'd read the occasional one here or there. But it had to be something that really, really grabbed me, you know. But it really it wasn't until the, the Shatner books, you know, he mentioned the, the Shatner pen books. And I've heard, you know... I've heard differing opinions. Some people really like them. A lot of people seem to, you know, not really care for them. I th I thought they were awesome, especially the the earliest ones. I didn't think so much of the very first one, the Ashes of Eden. I mean, it was okay, but the the one, the Return, which is the one where um, it takes place right after Star Trek Generations, where Kirk comes back. You know, he was killed at the end of uh, of Generations, but in the book, the Return, Correct. he back that's an awesome book and i i still say that that may be my favorite star trek book because it well, was just it was just a great read that's funny because i was just watching and just to tell everybody out there i might have mentioned it at the last monthly monday but uh william shatner has a uh youtube site mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll try to put a i'll try to remember to put a link on to the our uh with the show so people can go to it and it's very entertaining he's it's just him at home and i think it's his daughter who films with him or sometimes she'll be the one inter talking to him like sitting beside him talking to him and he's, he's got been a talking, couple daughters yeah yeah he's been talking a lot about the new movie and you know somebody asked him or you know they or somebody had written him or somebody was curious as to why he wasn't in the new movie and he said well you know i would have been in it if they'd asked me but they never asked me and you know, and I know Kirk's dead, but hey, I brought him back to life in a book. You know, it's not too hard. <laughs> but um, the the thought of you know William Shatner now playing the Kirk at his age in that movie is like one of the most absurd things in the world. So it would have had to have been like a old Kirk flashback. And now since the last Star Trek Monday monthly Monday, and probably the movie's out by now, but uh, they showed uh, another trailer with a. Uh, stuck on footage of uh, it was the same trailer as before but it had a stuck on clip of uh, Spock giving the live long and prosper at the end oh, of it I haven't seen that one yet the, the old Spock in some sort of like it looks like he's in some sort of furry you know living in a cave or has been living in the wilderness type 
gear on. Hmm. And he's gristled and, and old. Just a very, you know, just a three-second shot that they sort of tacked onto it. Huh. I have to but, seek that out. I haven't seen that one yet. Now, I have a question about the Shatner books that maybe you you know. I don't know. Uh -huh. I've never seen him talk about it. Does he actually does he actually really write them or does he have a a ghostwriter that he he comes up with the story with, do you know? Cuz well, I know a lot of they're they're credited to him with I, I forget how exactly it's worded, but basically it's by William Shatner with um, and it's Garfield and Judith Reeve Stevens, who they've written a lot of um, Trek books themselves. They wrote one called um, Feder I think it was called Federation, which was actually a really cool book. And it was the first, even before Generations, it was the first crossover between um, Kirk and Picard. But then after First Contact came out, the, the books kind of voided from any kind of continuity or anything so now it like didn't happen but um but it was a good book you know it involved Zephram Cochran and all this stuff it was actually right. a pretty cool story they wrote that and they've written several others that the names of the other ones escape me at the moment but being kind of familiar with their writing style it, it feels to me like they're largely you know pulling the weight with this but I my impression is he comes up with with the basic idea yeah and then they flush it out because those and they probably go back so... and forth, you know. They probably check with him, and he checks with them to, <clears throat> pardon oh, yeah. me, to to you know to keep it. They say, "Here we wrote this. Is this okay?" And he'll say, "No. There's got to be more Kirk in it," and send it back. And I mean, you know, th those books get so very technical, deep, deep into Star Trek lore, and not just the original series, but also DS Nine and Next Gen. That I can't imagine he he is that versed on it that he right. wrote books you know or even outlined a lot of the major sequences himself. I, I just you know I, I'm not trying to diss him. It's just I I, I don't really think that he's a no, fan. It's say, probably you know I mean? it's probably better that he does it this way. It's probably right. better that he does it with a ghostwriter and or however they're doing it. Because he's probably not a writer. He's probably got good ideas. He's definitely like seems like a creative guy, and he's definitely got a sense for the dramatic. So he probably you know, that's 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 probably the best. I mean, and you said they're good. If, if the if the end result is that it's a good read, then hey, who cares how you how they did it? I don't care if I don't care if they used a computer program and just like dumped a bunch of Mad Lib style words in if a you know, if a good book comes out of it, whatever the method is. So, right. I mean, I'm not... I, I, they were good. <clears throat> I'm not a purist. You know, there was, uh, you know, The Return. There, he, there's been a slew of them, but they were all good up until there was one that was basically, it was a it was a Kirk and Picard adventure. It was just the two of them on Bajor. You know, what's funny is I have that one. Oh, do you really? I've never read it. I picked it up at a garage sale. See, that's that's where they. I don't want to say that they started to to falter, but it just it, that one to me wasn't as interesting. A lot of it was flashback, and I just didn't think the story was as interesting. But the ones between you know the return up until that book, I think all of those are good because it's one continuous story. And what I really liked about it was was it 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 sets Kirk. 
in the next generation universe where he basically gets to interact with everybody. You know, he makes friends with Picard, but you know, he also interacts with the, the whole next gen crew. Um, he interacts with, uh, you know, people from DS nine and I, it just, it really becomes like a, like a romp through the star Trek mythos. You know, I mean, they, they go to the mirror universe at one point. Um, they touch on, you know, some, some, things that were uh you know laid down in the first you know in the original series like the preservers and stuff like that so i mean it, it really you know goes all over the place it's like a grand tour of the star trek universe and it's just a lot of fun i mean i got a i got a big kick out of reading those books but uh the return is the one that i really hold up as as the great one because you know it brought kirk back it brought him back in a very intelligent way you know, it brings um, Spock and McCoy back into the mix. You know, this was at a time when they're when the the Enterprise had been uh, Picard's Enterprise had been destroyed. So you know, there's a new Enterprise is is commandeered basically. Um, just just a lot of really neat moments in the whole book that just add up to you know it just really pushes my geek button with that with that. Um, with that book. I like that one a lot. I, I would have liked to have seen that become a movie, to be honest with you. I think it, it could have really been a, a, a great one too. But, uh, mobile home mentioned a bunch of books here. I'm going to have to check some of these out. Cause some of these I have like deep domain. I have that book and have never read it. And I think I have a lot of these and have never read it. But, uh, the ones that I, I can recall reading that I like that he mentioned was like the wounded sky. That was a pretty good one. Um, Spock's world was great. I need to read it again because I can't remember what the hell happened in that book. But I remember, you know, thinking it was awesome. I actually have that as a hardbound. I don't have a lot of hardbound Star Trek books. Most of them are just paperbacks. But that one I actually have as a hardbound, and it, it's a really good book. But I've got a bunch of them. The problem with those with the books is that they all tend to blur together after a while. And I I can remember right. things I liked, but I can't remember like where entire books were really good. You know what I mean? I, I can't right. even remember plots of a lot of them. So I'm going to have to start slowly making my way back to them. Cause a lot of these books, you know, I read like, you know, when I was like high school age, well, so I was like, going to say, I remember back when we were in high school, you had that one bookshelf that just had a, you know, rows of star Trek books. You know, they were all published around the same, you know, they had a very, um, they were, they, you know, they were, they all had the same sort of cover art and the same color, you know, this, right. they were all sort of in the same format. So you had this just rows well, upon, you know, row and row upon row of all these Star Trek books. Well, I've gone from having a, a, a shelf to almost one entire bookshelf is almost entirely Star Trek books. So, but, uh. The sad thing is, is you know, it, it's I, I'm looking at I've got a, a a five shelf. Wait a minute, is it one, two, three? No, it's a six shelf bookcase. Four of the shelves are all Trek books, but I bet you that I've only read maybe thirty percent of them. So I mean, right. I've been accumulating them without actually having read a lot of them. So I, I'm trying to make my way through them now, but. Uh, and then there's a lot of them that I, I've read, and I just can't remember what the hell was was the story. So now I have to go back and like reread them. And then I was I was really upset to to discover not long ago I got to thinking about some some Star Trek story or something, and I discovered that there's a bunch of my books that are missing that must have gotten lost in some move at some point in the last few years because I know I used to have all of the Star Trek logs 
by uh, uh, Alan yeah, Jean Foster. Those were the adaptions of the animated series. Oh, right. Yes, you I did. I remember they that. They're, they're gone. I've, I, I remember what they looked like. They they were white books, right? Yeah. And yeah, they, and, they and the picture like episodes on because I remember the one that the 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 book that had the story where Spock goes back to his own childhood, the cover of that book was the animated picture of Spock walking down toward the city right from the beginning of the episode. Oh, right. I don't know what the hell happened to so They're gone. They're, uh, basically, right. almost anything before Star Trek The Motion Picture, almost all those books are gone because I had a whole bunch of the. There was a bunch of, like, cheesy books before Pocket Books took over. They had, like... Uh, like Flight of the Phoenix and Fate of the Phoenix and Spock Must Die and all these. Spock Must Spock Die, Messiah. I remember. There was one called Spock Messiah, which I never did read. I remember that, that one too. I remember I those know. when I was a kid. I would When I would get a Famous Monsters magazine, there would be ads for Spock Must Die. And mm-hmm. and they would be in the back of the, the Star Trek, um, the James Blish adaptions of the TV shows. They would have ads in the back of those for, and I used to geek for those when I was a little kid. They, I was just like, "Oh my God, Spock must die," because when I was a kid, you know, I believed. You know, the first time I saw Star Wars, I was watching them on the moon of Yavin, going, "Well, they're dead. <laughs> the Death Star is going to blow them up." <laughs> well, I know what it was. It was. Uh, do you remember? It, there was a book. It used to come out as a as a paperback book, but it was really it was kind of like a fan letter or fa- like a fanzine. It was called Best of Trek. Uh huh. Do you remember I have, those? They used to- I have oh, some you- of those. Oh, do you really? So I had almost a complete set of them, and they're they're gone. I because I, I picked some up at a I don't know, it was a Salvation Army or Goodwill or something. I picked up a couple of them. And when I got home, I was going to compare them to the ones I already had to see if I had them or not. Because if you know if I already had them, I was just going to resell them. And that's when I realized, holy shit, I'm missing a whole bunch of books. Because I used to have almost a complete set of those best of Trek books up to a certain number when I stopped buying them. And I, I don't know what the hell happened to them. But I, mean, I, I tore the house apart and never did find them. So at some point during one of our moves, I we probably had some movers fucking abscond with a box of my shit or something. I don't I, know. I just saw I was I've been I've been digging through is is by the by this time I'll, it's probably all over our. Um blog site and I've probably got the blog up on MySpace but I won't guarantee it but I'm I have a house full of accumulated garage sale junk from five years and I've been going through it trying to I'm, I want to get rid of all of it basically except for the stuff that I'm collecting and you know whether it's going to get sold there's going to be board games going to charity and stuff but I've been digging through all of it and uh, I found all my old Star Trek photo novels that I got from the elementary school when I was a kid. <laughs> and they're all in that hard cover, that fake sort of plasticky <laughs> hard cover where they have to cut the the um cover of the book and they, you know, paste it right onto this hard forever binding. And it's kind of neat. I don't know what it does to the value of the book. I don't care not like I'm going to sell them because the, you know, photo novels were such a weird phenomena. I've got the photo novel of Star Trek the Motion Picture too. It's sitting in our bathroom for I like that one. For porcelain reading. For porcelain time. 
a photo novel. If there's any of our listeners out there who want to, I'm not. I wouldn't pay a lot of money for it. I would pay a couple bucks for it, but because it's it's probably not very valuable. But a photo novel I'd love to get my hands on that I used to have when I was a kid was a uh, is a terrible movie called Nightwing. I knew you were gonna say that. I want that night. I want that Nightwing photo novel again. It was a great photo novel. I read it and it was scary and stuff. Then I saw the movie. And the movie ruined it because the movie was so che- – once it was brought to life in such a cheesy, bad-acted way, it just didn't hold <laughs> up to my imagination, you know? So I'd love to get that photo novel – find that photo novel again. I should pop on eBay and I and look for it. What else we got? Um, That's about it. I, Yeah, that's about it. I was going to say I heard a rumor about Shatner, but I'm not going to bring it up because I was lazy and didn't do my homework and uh, and check up on that news flash. So never mind. And by the time this monthly Monday comes out, it'll be old hat anyway. Shatner <laughs> will have leaped into his next milestone or push the envelope that much farther <laughs> well um, do we need a break or do we have time I have a, uh, a speaking of Star Trek books I have a Star Trek book review oh. if we have time for it yeah I think I think we could go ahead with the review we might as well alright this book this review is for if you guys remember it must have been last time around I think that I did the review of the book um Star Trek The Next Generation Resistance. Oh, that's right. That was by uh, Jam Delard. This book is Star Trek The Next Generation Before Dishonor by Peter David. This is not so much a sequel as a basically a direct continuation of the last book, um, the Resistance book. Um. This is going to be a strange review because it's hard to talk about this book without giving spoilers that would ruin it for those that haven't read it. Um, I will say that you don't necessarily need to read this one after you, you've read Resistance because that book was a fairly self-contained story. So if you like that book and you know you want to stop there, basically you don't have to read this next one. But if you – if you pick this one up, you do have to read Resistance first to understand the events and situations and, and characters in this book. So I, I hope that makes sense. Um, it's also a good idea to have read one of uh, Peter David's earliest Star Trek books called Star Trek The Next Generation Vendetta, the giant novel. Um, as there are several references and callbacks to uh, throughout the course of this book before Dishonor. Um, I just want to say that I, I really enjoyed this book a lot. Um, while it wasn't quite as good as Resistance, in my opinion, um, I really only had minor nitpicky type quibbles with it for the most part, which, again, sadly, I, I can't really go into it w- without spoiling it for everybody. Um, but the biggest positive going for this book, what really, really works for it, is that it has something for nearly every Star Trek taste. Um, fans of Next Generation, Voyager, and even the original series, and yes, you heard me right, the original series in a Star Trek The Next Generation setting um, will have their geek buttons pushed by the inclusion of many familiar and beloved characters. Um, 
I was really surprised and excited by at least three totally unexpected appearances um, and one that absolutely just made the book for me that, you know, I, I was just really thrilled uh, that it was in there, totally didn't see it coming. And it, it was just, it's what pushed the book, you know, past that. All right, this is excellent, Mark. Um it has a lot of action, just like uh, Resistance did, a lot of intrigue and some really good tension in it. A uh, whole lot of, uh, oh, shit, you know, how are they going to get out of this kind of moments? Um, the negatives, though, you know, largely nitpicky, like I said. It mostly involves who the villain of the story is again. Um, I mean, if you read the back cover, you'll you'll know who it is, but I don't want to spoil it here, but... Uh, it's just the fact that I, I feel like the villain of the story is pretty worn out by this point. You know, I'm, I'm kind of tired of seeing stories with this, this same bad guy over and over again. And, you know, some of the quote-unquote sillier new abilities that the, the villain of the piece suddenly acquires, you know, just seemingly out of left field. Um, although, on the other hand, you know, there was at least one use of those powers that's pretty damned awesome. Um, and for those that have read the book, um, I'll just say the word Pluto, and hopefully you'll know what I'm talking about. That was really cool. Um, I did have some issue with Picard seeming to uh, constantly disregard orders. You know, if you if you read these two books back to back like I did, you know, you read Resistance and then you read Before Dishonor, it seems like he just pretty much blows off Starfleet all the time. You know, they give him an order and he just decides, oh, I'm going to do what I want to do. And you know Picard is not Kirk. You, know, Kirk you want me could to get start trouble with... here? Oh, go ahead. Um, if you wanted to make an analogy, like I would compare. If you want to make a president analogy to Kirk and Picard, Kirk is to Picard as George W. Bush is to Barack Obama. Because Barack Obama's got that sort of. Um, well, they're both skinny, and they both got that sort of like I'm considering, you know, they that, you know, Picard. They're both sort of people who like, you know, consider a situation before they do something. And whereas Kirk and and Bush are people who ju like jump at something. Now, I'm this is taking all positive and negative connotations off both politicians and just sort of as a general caricature. But if, if, if you wanted to do a president to, I'm just saying this because maybe it'll piss someone off and we'll get yeah, me. We'll, get, <laughs> well, yeah, well, <laughs> maybe I can say something to piss you off and you can say something to piss someone off. I don't know. I just want more people to come to our forum and call us names. Nah, That's I'm all. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to call you names off air. I want to keep, I want to. I want to try to keep um, that 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 person out of uh, out of my uh, out of episodes as much as possible. Um, God, where the hell was I here? I'm a troublemaker. You are a troublemaker. <laughs> oh, also, you know how the newer members of the Enterprise crew eventually uh, respond to Picard's decisions. Uh, you know, his decision to disregard orders that, that bothered me quite a bit. Um, God damn it's It's tough to talk about this book without just giving everything just away. Giving you know, everything I, away. It, it is. It's really tough. Anyway, Picard, he just, 
didn't seem to be totally in character at several points in the story, uh, particularly after um, the scene with the crew's reaction. Um, he seemed too maverick one moment and then too accepting of circumstances the next. Um, that's probably the most diplomatic way to put it. Um, but the this book does make up for any of that shortcoming in one huge, huge way. This book has balls. Before Dishonor does for the current <laughs> age of Trek books what Vector Prime did for the Star Wars novels in that Peter David kills off a major character. I mean, it's not just, you know, some security guard we got attached to during the course of one of the shows or something. Right. I mean, this is a major character. Dead. Um, to my knowledge, the character is still dead in the later and, and current novels that are coming out now. A very gutsy move and, and just masterfully done. I totally didn't see it coming, didn't expect it, and was just like, wow. So, you know, granted, the, the Trek authors do not all collaborate, you know, with one another to write one cohesive story. You know, as the, the Star Trek book writers are mandated by Lucasfilm, you know, to do so so that all their works more or less fit into one cohesive timeline, you know, and, and, and Lucasfilm is real sticklers for that. Um, and they don't do that with the Trek books. So, you know, this character may be alive if you read, you know, another book by another author. Um, but I still think it was a really gutsy move. And, uh, and, you know, lately I, I do kind of actually get the feeling that perhaps the, the current, Trek novelists are actually trying to make the post, you know, DS9, post Voyager, post next gen feature film books that are coming out now kind of kind of jibe and, and feel like maybe they are all playing in the in the same sandbox, more or less. You know, there, there's a whole that would series. Be a good idea, I would yeah, think, you know, it, it, yeah, it's about damn time, you know, because it is very frustrating especially for somebody like me with a shitty memory, you know, where, you know, I'll put down a book, you know, for example, I'm right now I'm reading, um, the farther shore, which is the next book after, um, Voyager homecoming that I think that was the first book I reviewed in our first star Trek monthly Monday. I started reading that book and I was lost. I was like, damn, now I know I read the last book. What the hell? How did these characters get here and what's going on? I actually had to go back and reread like half that book. And I just put that book down. It was the book I read before these two books. So, you know, keeping that in mind, you know, when you read a lot of the older Star Trek books, you know, depending on what author you're reading, their continuity is, is you know, like say you, you read like say J.M. Dillard, for example that continuity might be totally different from you pick up an, another author and there might be characters that are alive or dead or promoted or demoted or on another ship or whatever based on what author you're reading. So then not only are you trying to keep up with the Star Trek canon as a whole, but you're also having to keep up with individual authors' yeah. takes on different things in different scenarios. And it gets really confusing after a while to remember – yeah, you're like, oh yeah, Scotty's a peg leg in this guy's universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that, exactly that kind of thing, you know. 
and it, it, it gets it gets crazy. And I think that was one of the reasons I, I kind of got out of the Trek books after a while is I couldn't keep it straight anymore. You know, you, you'd pick You're up a reading book. too many books, man. All I these, know. All these books are ruining your brain. <laughs> That's not how we do it in America here, boy. <laughs> oh, you know what's scary is you, you, you sound like, the Home? people that, that <laughs> what are you wasting that time reading for <laughs> watching hey, football hey they, it's the same thing up here just without the accent it's just a different accent you know <laughs> yeah it's true that's true it sounds like the people we went to high school with exactly for the most part. but uh, uh, anyway um if you enjoy book. i would say if you enjoyed the last one if you enjoyed resistance check out before dishonor it is good trek it was a good book i enjoyed it um also if you want to know more about the story in this book and you're not afraid of spoilers or if you have read the book and you want to compare notes with me or whatever um stop by our forum you know just come to the forum you know i'll be happy to discuss uh you know the book in more spoiler filled detail with you Happy to do so. So, you know, check us out on our forum. Yeah, we live to discuss. Absolutely. Um, so I think um, we're ready to uh, go into our segment of the of the TV episode after a short break. Cool. And uh, we'll come back with the Cloud Minders, which could have also been titled the Gas Passers. But we'll get into that on the next episode. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Everyone's a Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. And now, sit back and relax as we uncork a bottle of Vintage Kirk, brought to you by Master of Motor, William Shatner. You would seal Plasis here also? For what purpose? I'm preparing a demonstration. On the effects of unbelieved gas. Please allow two to three hours before driving after enjoying your vintage curve. And now, back to two true freaks. Okay, we are back from break. This is Two True Freaks. We are ready for the second segment in which we are going to review the classic Star Trek episode, The Gas Passers. Oh, I'm sorry, The Cloud Minders. Had gas on the brain in this one. That's it. And uh, so basically, this this episode is the Enterprise is on an emergency mission. There's a planet that has is having some huge problem. All its ve vegetation's dying off. So they need this this I don't know if it's a um, a mineral or a chemical or whatever. It's called xenite that's mined on this planet. So they need xenite in order to kill whatever's killing off all the vegetation on this planet and they have just a limited amount of time before everybody on this planet's gonna die so they've made arrangements with um with um Lando Calrissian and or, well actually no what's his name like Plasis or something like that the, the, they I just call him the advisor they, they call him advisor the most advisor. of the time but yeah he does Plasis <laughs> or Plasis something like that yeah, yeah. Plasis that's right and so they've made arrangements to pick up a big shipment of this stuff so they could transport it to the planet in this emergency situation. So they're coming to the planet and um, basically um, they want them, Kirk to um, beam down to their cloud city, which is sort of this beautiful, they're a very advanced 
logic and art and beauty based culture and they have this wonderful cloud city that they want them to meet there and Kirk's like well I don't want to go to the cloud city and go through the pomp and circumstance of of that we don't have time for that this is an emergency let's just grab it and go and we'll come back some other time so he tells you know he basically tells Scotty to beam them right down to the to the planet where they'll be at the mine entrance and so they can pick it up directly there so when they get down to the mine entrance they're they're attacked by um these uh, miners with uh, mole man sunglasses who <laughs> try to take him hostage, but, you know, Kirk and Spock know how to beat the shit out of anybody on any planet, no matter what what kind of, how what color humanoid they are. So they sort of foil their plot, and, um, you know, the, the um, plesis, plesis, plesis comes, and platypus, platypus comes and, and scares off the the miners and shoots one of them and uh, takes Kirk and Spock back up to the city and says, well, you know, we're having a problem with our miners. They didn't have the shipment of the Zenite that it was just a trap so they could get a powerful prisoner and, uh, you know, uh, hostages. Meanwhile, the, the miners are thinking that the people in the Cloud City have brought the Enterprise there to intimidate them because, as it turns out, there's this big um, I wouldn't say a war, but there's starting to be trouble between the shit. Start. Yeah, there's starting to be a little class warfare amongst the miners who do all the work, and uh, the and the the brains who live in the beautiful cloud city and and have these people as their servants to basically support their their lifestyle. So Kirk starts figuring out real. Kirk and Spock start figuring out real quick what's going on. And they notice that um, that the um, the cloud city livers uh, Ardanians, I guess the uh, cloud living Ardanians, are kind of snotty about the the ones that live on the ground. You know, they're not intelligent. You know, they don't deserve they deserve to serve us because they're they're mentally inferior to us and they can't understand art and beauty and, and all this. So Kirk and that starts. Uh, putting a little of the stink nose on Kirk and Spock. Meanwhile, Spock's starting to flirt with uh, with uh, Platypus's daughter and um, in a very odd way, but we'll go into that after after this. But Spock's, yeah. sort, of, Spock's sort of developing a little love interest with... Uh, the daughter's definitely into Spock. She takes a shine to him right off, right off the bat. So Kirk starts thinking, you know, I got to get this... I got to get my Zenite. So in typical Kirk fashion, he starts stirring up the shit more. And um, uh, when he's staying up in the Cloud City, he's attacked later on that night, of course, in his bed. So he gets to wrestle wrestle her down by uh, this woman who attacked them earlier on the planet's surface. And uh, he finds out she was a servant up in the Cloud City and she's a, one of the rebel leaders. And... Uh, or as they call them, disruptors. Which aren't disruptors? Are those a Romulan or Klingon weapon? I can't remember. Actually, I think maybe both, but I know definitely a Klingon weapon. Yeah. And uh, so they're 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 she's she's part of a resistance movement, and she's telling Kirk, you know, we live in the mines and the darkness, you know, in the dark and cold, while they live up here. And she's got a taste of it because you know she's been a servant up there, and uh, 
So long and short of it is they find out that the bottom, and here's a weird little twist, is they find out the the Ardanians on the surface are actually mentally inferior. You know, there's a scene with McCoy with his, um, you know, little test tube going, well, you know, they are definitely mentally, you know, inferior to the to the cloud dwellers. But it turns out it's as a result of a gas that's given off by the Xenite that they mine. So basically if you take if you if you remove them from the gas like a lot of the workers who've been working up in the clouds, you start getting your mental facilities back and the gas also makes you a, you know, a lot more unstable and emotional. So you have uh um so you have a weird weird thing going on there but um so Kirk deciding that he you know the best way for him to get the Xenite is he sort of hooks up with the girl and promises her you know um if he gets her out of the cloud city cuz she's been captured when trying to kill him so she's in jail so if he gets her out of there that she'll give him the Xenite but when they get down to the into the mine she she sort of turns on him and they grab that him bitch. yep and so they they take Kirk and this is this is the fun part where they make him dig, dig with dig his with bare, bare hands. hands, and they make him you know mine some zenite. And uh, so Kirk gets his his phaser back, gets control of the situation, and um, shoots out the exit to the mine shaft that they're in. So he's just stuck in this little cavern with the girl, and has Spock. Um, beam platypus down there so he's got the main disruptor and platypus in in his clutches and he starts doing a little um little um direct um experiment with the with the with the gas and the effects on uh on human beings and ardenians apparently so of course everybody starts acting emotional and getting dumber and by the end of it Kirk and Platypus have a full out Kirk rolling around kicking and and punching fight and you know until he's proven he's proven to Platypus that you know these these people aren't inferior to you they're just stuck in the gas locked locked in the vicious gas cycle much like I am when I eat Mexican food. And, uh, so, so basically, Kirk gets a Xenite, uh, you know, a sort of hard bargain is struck. He, you know, um, Platypus doesn't really see the errors of his ways, but he's been muscled into this sort of compromise where Kirk gives all the bottom dwellers these gas masks that will filter the air for them, which will eventually make them smarter and and platypus generally has not acknowledged that they are on in any way equal, but he's been sort of forced to let them have their mass, and Kirk's going to let nature take its course. And as the people become smarter and less emotional, you know, or less, I shouldn't say less emotional, but less irrational, that they'll eventually, um, you know, come to be able to rebel or get their rights. You know, it was basically Kirk's way of breaking the Prime Directive and getting away with it in Kirk's style. But, yeah, it wasn't the typical, you know, usually when Kirk does something like that, it has this great 
wit about it, and this one was kind of a clumsy Kurt getting away with it. There's there's some clumsy things about this episode. I thought excellent, excellent synopsis. Thank you. So uh, how you how you want to tackle this? Just go. Well, uh... I um I think now when we first when we. I was listening to our last episode and when we picked out this episode you can hear both of us start to laugh and we didn't really explain why but when we were in high school and we used to watch Channel 11 Star Treks all the time this one was sort of we, we this one was sort of if if we were sitting around and said hey let's see what's on Star Trek and this one came on if it was me and Scott in the room pretty good chance that we'd be like ah okay and, and pass on it you know, right. as not being that good of an episode, and you know, ah, oh, no, it's not a good one. So, and we'd pass on it. But uh, that being said, I liked it a lot better this time because I understood yeah, a lot more of what was going on. But I think there was some a flaw, some flaws with the writing, and um, and I think whoever direct the the direct well it says the writer is Margaret Armin and it was a story by David Gerald and Oliver Crawford, so the, the you know I think David Gerald probably went through and they'd write a season's worth of synopsises and hand them out to the writers, so and there was a director it was Judd Taylor, so anyway, I think something weird went on and they and they and. I have a theory of how they tried to fix it with this, but there's, um, when we were talking about this yesterday, before I'd watched it, you were saying, yeah, there's some things that Spock does in this that are really out of character. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm expecting the typical Scott Gardner nitpicky, you know, but no, Thanks. way up. Well, you know, you know how you, you know how you usually preface a criticism with, this might be really nerdy or nitpicky, but right. And then, so I, I was waiting for one of those, and and you know those are the things I'll nitpick too. So I'm, I'm waiting for that. But boy, it was big old big old blunders in this one. You know, yeah. big old out of character. It was very strange. Well, I have it summed up in my notes this way: that Spock's ears aren't the only thing that are pointy in this episode. <laughs> oh no, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah, he, yeah. Spock's horned well, up know, right from the beginning. Well, she's pretty horned up. Too, oh, yeah. She's coming, she's coming on to him big time. Yeah. And I found it absolutely hysterical, the part where, you know, she's out there pouring drinks or whatever the hell she's doing in the hallway that's making noise and draws Spock out. So he goes out there and starts up a conversation with her. And it's a little flirty yeah. conversation, but it's not, nothing risque or anything. They're just kind of batting their eyes at each other. And then you cut back to Kirk in the bed chamber, you know, and he gets attacked by that redhead and wrestles her down and they have their little conversation. It cuts back to Spock and, and Droxine talking and she's going, so you only mate once? <laughs> exactly. Like, we missed like the damn. best part of the conversation there. <laughs> but in the course of like five minutes, they went from, you know, hey, how are you doing? To, I gotta uh, say, that's how suck. women work. If the if the woman is on the aggress uh, is is the aggressor in a in a relationship like that, that's they don't fuck around. They get the information they want and they get it fast so they can get down to what they want. And that's what she was doing. She was just like, 
damn, I like that green-blooded guy. He's got pointy ears. I'll bet you that ain't the only part of him that's pointy. And then, so she was working him right from the beginning. As, as soon as Spock goes, I've never met a work of art before, I was just like, what? <laughs> Did <laughs> yeah. you just say that, what? Spock? You... I can't believe that Kirk didn't look at him like up all to, his eyes. That, that's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like Spock using some lame, like, bar line, you know, on someone. It's just <laughs> weird. Yeah, yeah, he's got a little more class, but it's not quite James Bond, you know, but not bad for Spock, but it's like, Spock, you know how to flirt? I thought I thought it was nothing. Then Pon Far, which was like a rutting frenzy. Which I don't think there's much flirting during Pon Far. There's probably just more Klingon style wrestling. Oh, that, that's pure caveman grabbing by the hair right. and dragging back to the cave style right. right there. Right. So I didn't know Spock was, you know, versed in the art of. And, and Spock isn't like Data. He's not like, I am fascinated with human culture and I'm going to learn all about it. He's just sort of distant from it. So it's not like he's like, I'm going to learn how to flirt so I can be more human. It, so Spock's flirting is just bizarre, and um, well, well, he has been hanging out with Kirk for three years by this point, true. you know. So I mean, I, I guess maybe he picked up some pointers along well, a lot the way. Of that, you know? A lot of that stuff will sort of happen in these TV shows as they go on and on. You know, they're trying to develop his character and stuff. But the, I mean, the thing is, it wasn't something that was happening that seemed to be happening before or after it. It just was an element of this episode and the episode was written by a woman so maybe she was projecting herself if you want to get to the hard psychology of it the two female characters were two different aspects of her psyche you know one is the rebellious and one is the complacent and the complacent one is starting both of them are awakening in some way but one of them's awakening to their their um, love of Mr. Spock. And Mr. Spock was a definite <laughs> female nerd heartthrob of his day. Oh, yes. There were women yep. who were just, you know, they, they, you know, Spock was, Spock and Uhuru, more so than Kirk, were like this, the, the sexy, like sex symbols of more so Spock. Spock was like a big phenomenon with probably brought a lot of women into watching a science fiction TV show, you know, and was there, you know, probably part of the reason for its popularity. So this woman might, who wrote this, you know, I might, I might be completely wrong and just terrible for suggesting uh, I, it, but she might've, you know, she might've been like, Oh, I want to do a little, you know, I want to get Spock into a love story. Now, if I were the writer, I would have had Spock get kidnapped and had been exposed to the gas for a little while. Gas him a little bit, you know? You here you in this episode you have this plot device of this gas that makes people dumb and uh brings upon retardation as they mentioned two or three times in the in the episode, much to our Beavis and Butthead style laughing. I love it. Was there Xenite around where we grew up? I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was Xenite in the drinking water. But, you know, maybe not as much as the lead, but, you know. <laughs> that explains a lot. You know, all those farming communities around where we grew up, I, I think all those kids, their fathers weren't like corn or 
or like you know like cow punches or something. They were they were like xenite miners. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. That explains a lot. Why our our classmates were all fucking idiots. I'd like to go up there in some garage sales. Maybe I can get a good pair of those mole man type sunglasses with the <laughs> the, Devo, the Devo slits in them. And those the, uh, and now now here's something not just a tangent, but at least I'll tangent with it to something else in the show. But goddamn, wasn't the fight at the beginning of this just one of the most awesome retarded? cheesy Kirk fights. For one, the miners all are like pre-New Wave. You know, I mean, this was like the 60s, but they look like sort of 70s punk rock New Wave looking <laughs> with the sunglasses. Yeah, you're right. And I thought they looked a lot like the uh, like Khan's followers from Star Trek 2, you yeah. know, where they check off and his captain find him down on yeah. that dirt planet yeah. and they had the visors and all. I thought they looked a lot like mm-hmm. that. And uh, when they started fighting, Kirk, right off the bat, he leaps into the air and does the patented double (laughs) kick to the chest to the one guy. And I swear to God, they had like one of those jump pads because there's all these scenes of people flying in. You know, I mean, when they come into the frame, they're up in the air and they're flying headfirst at Kirk. Like someone's just chucking them at him from off screen. Like there's some gorilla just chucking miners at Kirk <laughs> off screen and his hair gets all fucked up you know his hair's yeah, too. flying all over the place and he's sweating and and then they have the whole scene where Spock's beating up the girl she's attacking Spock and the, and it's like how can we have Spock you know beat her up without beating her you know beating her up cuz she is a woman and he is Spock and he's super strong so he's just sort of you know, pushing her away, pushing her down to the ground, and just sort of, it's awesome, it's so just... But then she switches tactics and attacks Kirk, and that was one of my notes, is that, you know, Kirk throws around those other guys at the very beginning of the fight, but then when it comes to fighting that woman... Oh, yeah, he gets and then close especially when contact. It, <laughs> yeah, well, especially when it comes to him fighting with... Uh, platypus at the end of the episode which you know basically that guy's like an old museum curator yeah he's never sake. fought in his life they're, they're, they're... yeah he's having a tough time with this guy i'm thinking he's james t fucking kirk he, he should be kicking this guy's ass left and right and and he he looks like he's just barely holding his own in a in a fight with a guy who's probably never been in a physical well, fight in his now, life. Now let's let's we can't assume that because they they're an art based society and there's a lot of like um, martial arts martial arts, so they might all be trained in the martial arts because being sound of mind and body is part of being you know a well developed brainiac. So he might he might reading. know some Ardanian martial art form because he did have that double he was doing the double um knife attack but kirk just kicked one right out of his hands <laughs> I know, immediately I love, it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it uh i mean by this time in the series they realize that it's always fun to have shatner just beat people up because and shatner had all these moves that i'm sure he just he went to like go to like someone who's like I'll train you in self defense and fighting you know in a day and just taught him some basic blocks and moves and stuff and then he just developed them into you know let's see what does Kirk have in his arsenal the shoulder roll the double punch 
the jump kick. Um, that's about the it. Cocking, cocking his right fist way the hell back <laughs> before he just roundhouses somebody. Because yep. he's doing it to Spock on the on the transporter pad when Spock finally yells at him and says, "The gas! Remember the gas!" or whatever he says. Kirk is just about to do that. That famous Kirk, you know, pull that right fist way back behind your head and belt somebody. <laughs> you know, this this episode does work on you know on the on a rewatch. You know, for one of the classic formulas that kept me watching the show as a kid, which was, how long is it going to take before Kirk kicks this guy's ass? Yeah. You know, and there's a <laughs> lot of episodes that follow that formula of, okay, pretty quick off the bat, you identify who's the annoying character. Yeah, you can. How long is it going to take before Kirk finally says, to hell with diplomacy, and belts this fucker? And you can see and Kirk start. Most of the episode, but he finally <laughs> does belt Platypus toward the end of it. And by that point, I'm like, yes. Because I. You know, that guy was annoying, he was a, man. He was an asshole. Well, let me, let, let me just. The. The. Um. Sort of. Um. This episode was trying to be sort of a political statement, sort of in a vague sort of way, not a, like, I don't think, you know, it wasn't like a 60s message, but it was sort of a, you know, the haves versus the have-nots message. And it was weird because, you know, there's always, you have the class war thing where the upper class is saying, well, you know, the lower class, they're the workers because they're dumb and, you know, they ha you had that argument. But you have this convenient element of the gas. So that's where I, that was breaking down in the writing for me. It's like, okay, as a political metaphor, you've got this whole thing with the workers and the and why couldn't it you know, why couldn't it be as oh, simple Pardon? Just I see where you're going. So you're saying rather than introduce the gas, why not just have it be a simple story of prejudice of it was the way it was because the people that lived in cloud city were a bunch of prejudiced assholes. Yeah, because they, well, you know, I mean, basically they were, well, they were, they were privileged to the point of where, you know, they just, or I wouldn't say there is much prejudice as just pure arrogance. They were very arrogant and, you know, they thought they were perfected beings and they didn't see their own. They had the prejudice, but their arrogance made them overlook it. And, um, the introduction of the gas made it almost a justified prejudice. Right. When, when you have the gas, because they were well, right. They, Those but, people really were mentally inferior. To well, that's, them. A, that's the thing, the thing. And then, and then, it, and, and I, I can see where it's introducing these other elements, but it was clumsy. And then when they introduce the gas, you know, and the guy even when he knows about the gas, not that he believes it, is just like, well, so what? They're still stupid, and you know, and and Kirk was basically, you know, introducing the idea like, well, they don't have to be stupid, they could be, they can be improved, you know, if you remove. So it was sort of a metaphor for like people who say, oh, well, the poor, you know, and the people who work the crappiest jobs, you know, they're there for a reason, blah blah blah. Oh well, if you take them out of those conditions, then they could be just as smart and just as successful or just as developed a person as you. But you just choose to keep them in there because it's easier because they do your dirty work. That was sort of the theme of of this episode, but it was just clumsily. 
I would have rather it have been a straight up like I mean platypus was already an arrogant prick so and you so you didn't really need that much you know you didn't really need that much of a justification or the complication of of the gas although it did off you know the gas was a way to resolve it because that was how you know he could do a demonstration of his theory and and get a zenite but yeah, it was just it was clumsily written and there's like a weird part in the and uh the beginning of it with when it comes back from the first commercial break and i'm sure you've got this noted somewhere i'm sure this is one of the elements we were talking about yesterday that you said you didn't think was in any other episodes is there's like an internal monologue of spock at, at the beginning that is bizarre. Yeah, it's like a scene of Spock sitting with a sort of, with the filter they usually put on a beautiful girl when the, oh, music starts. He's got like the Vaseline filter on him, and it's like Spock, and it's not like Captain's Log, because that was what Captain's Log served as. But since neither of them could do a Captain's Log, although he could have been doing a First Officer's Log into his tricorder, but it, right. they chose to have an internal monologue with the camera sort of swooping around Spock, or you know, moving around Spock as he sits in a chair and wonders about and and muses on this hot chick that he's just met. I wonder about ooh, the hot chick. It, it was very, it was very, sort of just. It was, it was completely. I've never seen anything like that. Ten bucks says that that's a scene that gets cut when that show when that episode is aired that, that we probably never saw growing up. Right, because you know, they had to uh, right trim things out. It almost felt like a filler, you know, like they said, "Oh shit, you know, we're five minutes short on this episode," so they just threw in this. Yeah, they said we have this shot of Spock sitting in the chair. Let's uh, put the you know bring him in and do a voiceover of this because it it's basically a recap of what happened just three minutes ago before the commercials. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you didn't really have a chance to forget it. And and it doesn't add anything. It's a recap and just him going, huh, I wonder, but mm, very, very strange. I've got a couple quick notes. Um, it's just kind of just little quick ob observations I made during the course of the show. Um, Kirk's been to the gym, man. I mean, he he's looking slimmer and trimmer in this episode. Did you notice that? Yeah, he's because in the he's still a lot of usually, third season episodes. You used to oh, I'm sorry, you used to him getting fatter over time. You know. Yeah, a lot of the third season episodes, he was looking a little beefy, but he's he's looking pretty pretty fit in this particular episode. I was I was like, all right, but his hair was really something was <laughs> up with his hair in this episode. I don't know what it was. And you were right. After that first fight, his hair is all fucked up. And it's all fucked what... up the way like old men's men's hair gets fucked up when it gets, you know, <laughs> and they have those extra long, weird, thick hairs. So they just like when they're combed right, it looks okay. But when they go crazy, it's just like you have this weird explosion of hair. And he had that going, this weird, sweaty, greasy looking rag thing. And he had that going on. And then, of course, in the classic manner you know two seconds later when 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 platypus shows up he's his hair's you know combed back down and 
He didn't have any shit all over him either. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. You know, because he's just been rolling all over the ground, getting pummeled and beat up and beating up other people. But then he stands up and meets the uh, advisor guy, and there's no dirt no on him scurf, or anything. Nothing. He's just like got this whole. <laughs> And 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 it's a pretty big set for Star Trek. You know they've got their rubber rocks laying around, but you can see there's a shot like an overhead shot of them, and you can see that they must have dumped a couple truckloads of sand and dirt in there, because it's real sand and dirt on the ground. You can see their footprints in it. And the, the, yeah. You see the dust as they're rolling around. Now, did you notice? Um... I think it was right. After, it must have been right after they come back from commercial for for the first time. Right after the opening credits, uh, Kirk and Spock have been lassoed. Yes. You know, by, by the guy, and and, uh, and then Kirk says something about you know I I forget the exact quote, but it's something like "What's the meaning of this? What are you doing?" or something like that. His mouth never moves. He's he's using his little known super ventriloquism power. <laughs> I was like, shit, he. Because I was watching it with Scotty the other night, and I was like, "Did he just say something and his mouth didn't move?" So I rewound it back, and sure, sure enough, enough, he he, he talks and his mouth never moves. It was funny, so it was you know dubbed over, but they forgot to have it dubbed over in a part where he was actually <laughs> moving his lips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I thought I thought this episode, you know, for the time, you know, had some actually some pretty decent special effects. You know the. Guy falling out of the cloud. Oh city. yeah, that was that was hilarious. But you know the close-ups of the cloud city look a little silly. But there's that one shot of of Kirk and Spock on the planet standing there looking up at it. Yeah, and that's actually pretty cool. I like that one because the city's a little more indistinct. You know, it's it's further away, and you don't see that it just looks like you know Dracula's castle on a cloud or whatever. But uh, yeah, I thought it had good special effects. I liked and, uh, actually. Some... I remember when I was a kid, also thinking it was really cool. The shots from up in the city where you see it looked it looked like Google Maps. You know, it looked like a satellite <laughs> shot. You know, from yeah, way did. up, and that was really cool. Of like, you know, what they saw from from up in the city. But their art was for uh, such a extremely developed. You see, I think maybe I have a theory that. Um, Maybe um, extreme logic and intelligence will make a Vulcan horny because maybe he was just like, ah, this is like, uh, you know, this famous society that's known for their mental development and their art. So that maybe that's what got the old horn on. Maybe he knew ahead of time he was going to be looking for some Altarian, is it Antarian or Altarian? Antarian. Whatever. Interian Poontang. He likes artsy chicks with great tits. That's what it is, man. I mean, nothing she had a nice rack. So. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Well, there was there was a whole rack theme going on with both ladies in this one. Platypus's daughter had this sort of like clamshelly bikini top thing that was just sort of gripping onto her boobs, and then the then the um, the rebel leader woman had this sort of like pointy bra thing that she wore yeah that was weird looking there was yeah weird like sort of yeah flat edged looked... front yeah pointy, i noticed that too pointy it was, bra that was thing. we're a couple of pervs it was it, it, i'm me? telling you it wasn't something that you really had to be paying attention to notice it, it, <laughs> it sort of stuck out sort of <laughs> it did sort of so stuck out 
But uh, I think maybe the costume designer was like, you know, would they have different bras? You know, by that time, maybe they were sitting around thinking that maybe they have different kind. Let's come up with a space age shaped bra. I don't know. Something maybe the, maybe the maybe the troglite women have like like I don't know. Forget it. That was another. <laughs> <laughs> that was another. That was another thing. Is they're they're called the troglites, which and and spot and I'm like well, okay, so they're like the troglodytes, you know. So, but Spock actually brings it up and says, you know, their name the name they've given these people is a derivative of one of your Earth words, troglodyte. And Kirk's like. Of course, troglite, troglodyte, of course. A, why? why would they use that? Why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's something that happens in Star Trek all the time. It's like, it's lucky that they weren't like, you know, it's lucky that they weren't developing into like a neo, you know, that they were like Romans or, well, you know, I'm trying to make up something, but there's always, always a Star Trek episode that has one, you know, (laughs) at least they didn't become Nazis. (laughs) Oh shit. At least they weren't gangsters. Okay. At least they weren't Romans. Oh, at least they weren't Greek. Uh, At least they weren't like Liberace. Oh God. Now, did did you notice uh, (laughs) that when, uh, Platypus How the hell would an alien know what Liberace looks like? <laughs> sorry, I didn't. I'm sorry. Did you notice when Platypus introduces his daughter to Kirk and Spock that Kirk undresses her with his oh, eyes? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's... I love that. Spock's more subtle about it. You don't notice him. You know, it's not. It's not as overt when he does it. That's why the. That's oh, this... why the artsy chick liked him. Kirk's too much of a brute. He's a brutarian. <laughs> All right, now here, here's something I could actually go into a rant about, but I'll just mention it. This drives me crazy, and not just when they do it on Star Trek. When they do it on, like, I don't know, like James Bond movies or something. This drives me crazy. All right. They've come to this planet, right? They're in a big, fat fucking hurry. There's a whole goddamn planet that's going to die if they don't get this Xenite shit and get it back there post-haste, right? Right. So what do they do? They come down. They meet the advisor. The advisor gives them, you know, a, a spare room. They go in and take a fucking nap. Who does this? Well, he goes, yeah, you I must mean, be tired and want to rest. And they're both like, yes, that would be great. You know? Yeah. No way. I'd be like, uh, excuse exactly. me, Mr. Advisor. Can we just get the shit we came for and go now, please? Thank you. I thought the same thing. No. I thought, yeah, I'd be, you know, I'm on a strange planet and these weird conditions. I've just been attacked. I want to take a nap. I mean, even even if they, you know, if the guy says, all right, well, you know, look, it's going to be an hour. You know, we, we can give you a place to go, you know, read some magazines and watch television. I could understand that. But he <laughs> offers room. them a, a respite and Kirk actually goes and falls asleep. Now, look, and- it's Kirk's ass if this mission doesn't come off right. Could he really sleep? Is Kirk that relaxed Does Kirk in this really- situation that he well, he sleeps with one eye open, obviously, but does Kirk really sleep like a mummy, too, with his hands crossed over, <laughs> like, flat on his back with his hands crossed over his chest perfectly? I was just like, yes. who sleeps like that, man? But that was just so he was just in the perfect position to grab the knife as, you know, she was about to threaten him. All right, here's really nitpicky for you. All right, and the part where they got Vanna on the on the torture thing, and they're giving her the beams, yeah. right? She screams. Kirk hears it. 
he and Spock walk very casually walk out of the room, but then in the cut they cut to another angle, and here they come Jogging just booking in. Batman Rob style around the corner into the torture chamber. <laughs> it was just it was just really weird. There was a lot of weird you... things like that, and there was one scene where before she got caught, where she was you know she was sort of sne- she was sneaking behind Spock and uh, Platypus's daughter, where. She was sort of moving, and they actually freeze-framed it to stop her. She was stopped and just sort of sitting there and, like, watching and waiting, and it was a freeze-frame. Mm-hmm. And, and like, it totally, you know, for as someone who sat with, like, 16, you know, 16-millimeter 16 jogging something back and forth like that, so, which sometimes, you know, it's like that shot in Star Wars with the Tusken Raider um, raising and lower his gaffy stick you know they just jogged this <laughs> he just did it once but they jogged it back and forth two or three times on the editing machine to make it look like he was waving it around and they sort of did that with her they sort of like just stopped her for for you know it was just for maybe a second but you know you know how a freeze frame looks different than right somebody who's just, you know than film that's moving so that was a little weird so there were, I think there were all sorts of issues that they tried to fix in post. And this one, like dubbing voices, there's all sorts of weird little things that don't make sense going on. And I think this may, may have been a troubled production. And maybe it might have been done, you know, since Kirk is skinnier in this, maybe this was done earlier than, you know, a lot, may, the, maybe this one was filmed... You know, and the yeah, in, a, in an earlier yeah. season, and they like were like, "Wow, we need another show." Uh, we got that Cloudminders one, yeah, but we weren't gonna use it because it sucked. <laughs> well, you know, we can fix it up. You know, we can do some things to jazz it up, add some time to it, and pad it out. Maybe they put that scene with Spock in there to cut something out that really sucked. <laughs> Because something was up, up with it. See where it was actually filmed, as opposed to where it aired in the in the production order. I would do that if I wasn't lazy. As 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 an adult and someone who went to film school, it had a lot of you know watching it. It was setting off a lot of little alarms that there was something something didn't go right in the production of this. Something didn't go right with the writer or the director or the communication between some people and some other people or. It could have been. It could have been the actors might have been in a foul mood. Maybe Kirk was doing. A, well, it was pro- not too early for like actors to be doing like lots of like cocaine or something. But that could have accounted for his <laughs> weight loss too. Yeah. Your shit again. I tend to th- believe it was just too much sex. <laughs> <laughs> too much just physical exercise. Here's something I caught, and I was actually really proud of myself because before each of these episodes that we talk about, I look in the nitpickers guide just just to see what's in there. You know what? You know, and nine times out of ten, it makes me feel very stupid and un- un- unobservant. Right. But I actually caught this one, and I was really proud of myself. All right. The part where Vanna, the girl that tried to kill Kirk, is in the cell. Right. Right. He beams the Enterprise to her cell. Offers her the gas mask. They go through all that bullshit. He stuns the guard. All right. 
she goes to the guard and takes his pass and says they can't leave the city without this pass. Really? Don't they need and two they passes? Leave... Say what? Don't they need two passes? Well, maybe, but not just that. All right. Why not just beam back to the fucking ship and then beam down to the planet? Yeah. Why in the hell would they risk capture? And Spock already warned Kirk, look, you face you're off, execution you're off the books. if you get yeah. caught doing this. Yeah, you know? you're doing it off the books. And so that way, if you get caught, it's you're on your own. Yeah, you're right. And, well, that's what I thought. I thought he was going in the beamer up, you know. And to that matter, why didn't they just beamer up? <laughs> you know why didn't they just well, lock onto the girl the... in the cell and beam her up I, I wonder about that sometimes and sometimes I, I, I think that maybe my you know my, my having watched later shows you know the next gen and Voyager and all that interferes sometimes with my recollection of how technology worked in the original series but I I wonder sometimes I, sometimes I think maybe they can't do that like I think that they can you know like for example the I can't remember if it was this episode well, or another episode I watched. So, somebody said something about, um, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. But so, I, mean, I think it was this episode. Somebody took Kirk's – oh, yeah, it was when she took his communicator away and she said something about it would be now it was going to be tougher for them to find him. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Couldn't they just scan for human biosigns down on the planet and beam him up? And then I got to thinking, well, no, maybe they can't. Maybe they actually needed their communicators back then. I Sometimes – maybe yeah. it's just the show itself. But I'll tell you, you no, they had a bioscan because when they were going to get platypus, remember Spock's watching him through the viewfinder. He's watching the – looking through his little viewfinder and saying – you know, his daughter's too close to him. There's somebody, there's another person that's too close to him. We want to just get him. We have to wait for the other person to move away. So they could they could observe to the point of where they knew, you know, there were two people in a room standing too close together to be beamed up. So, I mean, it's all just elaborate. It's all just elaborate methods from of getting people from one place to another and and as far as Star Trek goes, it's one of the most brilliant just things to ease up plot lines, oh, I... you know, to, to to allow plot lines to go forward is you have this incredible invention that will put you anywhere you need to go. So that just gets a lot of problems out of the way of like, okay, what ship are they going to take to get down to here? And Okay, so you mean to tell me Kirk's climbed up this over this mountain to get you know what did they drive in a car so you, you know it's just this convenient machination for their it's it's brilliant but at the same time I don't think the writers would think it through as much and they were just hoping that in the watching of the show that most people would either let it slide or not notice it or be watching the next show by the time their brain might think of it and not really care by that point. <laughs> so a lot of that stuff just gets, you know, there's a there's probably a lot of situations in these start. We'll we'll have to keep track of it. Maybe we should keep a, a running tally of um, situations that could have just been remedied by beaming out. <laughs> 
a lot of them, I, w- I would suspect. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you reminded me of something. I didn't make a note of this because I thought, all right, this is way over the top geeky. But since you mentioned it, here is your Scott being a super nerd moment for the episode. Excellent. You mentioned the uh, the viewfinder. The I, I like to call it the viewmaster. Yes. That that Scott's always looking in on the bridge. Well, it reminds me I of noticed- those film strip viewers we had when we were kids. <laughs> It's a, I think it's a microfiche viewer. That's that's how sophisticated they are in this in this century. I never noticed this before, but I noticed it in this episode, and I thought, "Fuck, would that be annoying?" All right, he's got this little dial on the side of it that he holds on to and rotates. It, yes. it's kind of, it's a lot like a microfiche viewer. Yes. Watch him if you watch this episode again. Watch him. Whenever he's looking in the Viewmaster and he moves that little dial, and then if if somebody distracts him or if he lets go of it, and the fucking dial rotates back. So imagine looking into like a microfiche viewer, and every time you let go of the thing, it's going to like move just a little bit or maybe back to the beginning of the file every time. How annoying would that shit be, right? But it it does it to him every time. Vulcans don't get annoyed. I guess, but I mean, <laughs> so you can tell he's not really looking at anything oh, yeah. at all. Because he would have to adjust every time he looked in the thing. Oh, he's looking at, you know, I mean, if you could jump into Leonard Nimoy's body, he's probably, every time he looked in there, he's looking at two Christmas tree lights on a dimmer switch going, <laughs> and like there's a dead fly in there and shit. And he's just like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I noticed in that scene where he is looking in his Viewmaster and, and Scotty's talking to him and they're trying to figure out, you know, how are they going to get the uh, the advisor away because his daughter's standing there and all that. If you watch that scene, there's a close-up of his hand, of Spock's hand, hovering over this button and nothing ever comes of it. it, yeah. it it's almost like, like a tension-building moment, but then he doesn't do anything. And I, I imagine it's like the kill switch for the conversation or something. I, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's funny. Just this weird, you know, he's talking to Scotty and like. Hello? And lingering over this one button, but he never pushes it. And, and then the scene changes and you're like, what what the hell is that all about? You know? I don't know, it's just really bizarre. There's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of weird little moments in this I, whole episode. Yeah, like I, I know so, something was up in the production of this one way or another. Did you notice uh, no checkoff in this episode? No checkoff, yeah. The very few, and, so, you know, just the bridge and Scotty, you know. I couldn't make out who the uh, who the navigator was. I, I tried, to, tried to catch it, and by the time I thought of it, you know, that, hey, checkoff's not in this one. The, when I noticed it, you were getting the back of the guy's head, so I never did catch yeah. who it actually was, if it was anybody that we know. I don't think I never token or anybody Uhuru, else was there. In it, Uhura, you saw Uhura, I don't think she had a single, yeah, she had a line. One or two, and yeah. Kirk just, you know, barked an order at, you know, bark, tell him this and tell him we're going down, we're going down to the planet. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but ever since we talked about the trailer for the new movie and, and I went on my little semi-rant about the fact that they're doing kind of like the idealized version of Star Trek, you know, where they've got to have the, these core seven, like they're the only seven people that were ever right. on the Enterprise. I've made it – I'm making it a point from now on to point out when one of the seven is not in an episode, you know. Okay, yeah. Because I think that's important to to make that distinction that, you know – 
we, we, I think we hold on to this fantasy ideal of every single episode of Star Trek, you know, Kirk was in the chair and Spock was at science and, you know, McCoy and, and Scotty were down at their stations and Ahura and Chekhov and Sulu were all there. And, and that wasn't that way. A, there's a lot of episodes where one or more of, of mm-hmm. the of the seven that we think of were not in the episode. Well, you I know? don't know. Chekhov was, did he come in on the second or third season? Second season, but I mean, even even discounting that, I mean, there's episodes right. where where Ura's not in the episode for for whatever reason. There's episodes where where neither of the guys at Helm or Navigation or Sulu or Chekhov. So you know, there's there's lots of episodes where we either don't see Scotty at all, or maybe we hear his voice, but we never see you know stuff like that. So it's all probably a complex combination of ego, writing and paychecks <laughs> and the magic combination of, you know, maybe this one, they were like, well, we'll have to use less actors on this one because we want to do more special effects. We need more, you know, styrofoam rocks. So <laughs> no check off this episode. You know, we have a city in the sky and somebody's got to fall out of it and disappeared to a pinpoint. Well, they sort of they sort of fell real nice, but then after a certain point they just disappeared. When the the guy who <laughs> who leaped off the the cloud city. Well, I don't know. I think that I, I don't really have much more to say about it. I ha- I had more than I thought I had to say about it. We need uh we need to fire up the old computer and it. uh oh, all it's right. It's almost the the ready to go lights on. I'm hitting the button. And it should, it should spit something out here pretty soon. Oh my God! Wait, false alarm! It just spit out a bunch of gibberish. Hang on, it's like letters. All right, let me restart it. There she goes. Episode 19. Number 19. 19 is Tomorrow is Yesterday. Huh? All right, Tomorrow is Yesterday. This is sort of a uh, this is sort of funny because the last episode was Return to Tomorrow. There's a so lot of episodes with Tomorrow in the title, so it's it's hard to keep them straight sometimes what the hell they're all, you know, which one is which, but this is the one I was originally hoping was the one when you said the the one with tomorrow the return to tomorrow this is the one i was thinking of this is uh the one with captain christopher the air force pilot who oh. ends up uh you know kirk and crew wind up back in the 60s and they they pull this guy aboard the enterprise and it, it, they determine that it, they've they've messed up time this is a great episode so i'm i'm really looking forward to doing this one this is this one is the favorite. one this is the one that has shots of the Enterprise in like Earth atmosphere, right? Yeah. Like like a UFO. Yeah. Oh, I love this one. Oh, this awesome. Awesome episode. Yeah, I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to. Uh, I can't wait. To, I haven't seen this one in a long time. This is one of my favorites. Awesome. All cool. right. So I guess we'll be back next time with that one. In the in the meantime, we'll have another uh, our next. Next week's episode will be uh, another comic book episode where we'll be uh, 
reviewing issue three of The Walking Dead and probably talking about a bunch of other comic book stuff. Yep. And uh, you can uh, come to uh, Two True Freaks at, uh, it, w- it would be the web address would be twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. And uh, there, you know, you can download our podcast. You can listen to our podcast. You can go to our MySpace site. You can go to our YouTube site. You can uh, find our email address, which is twotruefreaks at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, tell us what you think. Uh, give us any suggestions. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear what, I'd love, I'd love to hear what people think of, uh, and like you were saying on, um, on the forum recently, you're really interested in hearing what, like, the younger folks who didn't grow up seeing the original Star Trek think of them today, look, you know, looking back at them without that nostalgia or hindsight that we have right so i'd be really curious to see what people who you know maybe started out watching the next generation or you know one of one of the other shows what they think of this is it i mean is it really just completely retro cheese is it hard to take seriously or can you actually um get into them story-wise something that we'll never know because we'll never be able to look at them objectively I definitely want – I'd love to hear from some folks, though. I, I definitely want to know what people think. Or even if, you know, even if you haven't ever watched, you know, classic Trek all that much or don't know that much about it, if you were raised on the later shows, you know, Next Gen and DS9 and whatnot, you know, what do you think about the next movie um, taking place with, with the classic, you know, the in the classic thing, you know, do you think it's, you know, is it all right with you? Or are you, are you rolling your eyes about it? Or are you wondering why are they going backwards or, you know, what's going on? So just curious. Curious to know. But, um, yeah, I guess until next time, we'll be, uh, freaking out, man. <laughs> Bye. See you later. programming on Channel 11 is made possible in part by Thompson Vacations. Thompson takes the care. You're free to enjoy yourself. The whole package is going back. Me with it.